Welcome to Listening to the Giants, Episode 4. Welcome to the Listening to the Giants podcast, Episode 4. Thanks for making us part of your day. If this is your first visit to Listening to the Giants, thank you for taking the time to check us out. I hope you'll find this podcast enjoyable and beneficial. And if you do... We'd really appreciate it if you tell others about it. Now, in today's episode, we have the third chapter of Thoughts for Young Men by J.C. Ryle for you. For those who are joining us for the first time, let me encourage you to check out the short biography of J.C. Ryle that you'll find at the beginning of episode two. You'll also find the first two chapters of this book in episodes two and three. In this third chapter, Ryle moves from listing some of the spiritual dangers faced by young men, and really everyone to some degree or another, to giving some general counsels. Here, Ryle begins to provide biblical solutions to the spiritual dangers that he's already addressed in the book. Again, as is true with everything in this book, the counsel that Ryle gives is universal. They're applicable to everyone— male or female, young or old. I hope you'll listen carefully and take to heart what Ryle has written. I know for my part, I benefit from hearing and thinking about these principles, even while I record and edit the podcast. Well, I hope you're eager to hear what J.C. Ryle has to say to us today. So, without any further delay, let's begin listening to the Giants. Chapter 3, General Counsels to Young Men In the third place, I wish to give some general counsels to young men. For one thing, try to get a clear view of the evil of sin. Young men, if you did but know what sin is and what sin has done, you would not think it strange that I exhort you as I do. You do not see it in its true colors. Your eyes are naturally blind to its guilt and danger, and hence you cannot understand what makes me so anxious about you. Oh, let not the devil succeed in persuading you that sin is a small matter. Think for a moment what the Bible says about sin, how it dwells naturally in the heart of every man and woman alive. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Romans 3.23 how it defiles our thoughts, words, and actions, and that continually. Genesis 6.5, Matthew 15.19. How it renders us all guilty and abominable in the sight of a holy God. Isaiah 64.6, Habakkuk 1.13. How it leaves us utterly without hope of salvation if we look to ourselves. Psalm 143.2, Romans 3.20. How its fruit in this world is shame, and its wages in the world to come, death. Romans 6, 21-23 Think calmly of all this. I tell you this day, it is not more sad to be dying of consumption and not to know it, than it is to be a living man and not know it. Think what an awful change sin has worked on all our natures. 
man is no longer what he was when God formed him out of the dust of the ground. He came out of God's hand upright and sinless. Ecclesiastes 7.29 In the day of his creation, he was, like everything else, very good. Genesis 1.31 And what is man now? A fallen creature, a ruin, a being that shows the marks of corruption all over, his heart like Nebuchadnezzar, degraded and earthly, looking down and not up, his affections like a household in disorder, calling no man master, all extravagance and confusion, his understanding like a lamp flickering in the socket, impotent to guide him, not knowing good from evil, his will like a rudderless ship, tossed to and fro by every desire, and constant only in choosing any way rather than God's. Alas, what a wreck is man compared to what he might have been. Well may we understand such figures being used as blindness, deafness, disease, sleep, death, when the Spirit has to give us a picture of man as he is. And male as he is, remember, was so made by sin. Think, too, what it has cost to make atonement for sin and to provide a pardon and forgiveness for sinners. God's own Son must come into the world and take upon Him our nature in order to pay the price of our redemption and deliver us from the curse of a broken law. He who was in the beginning with the Father, and by whom all things were made, must suffer for sin the just for the unjust." must die the death of a malefactor before the way to heaven can be laid open to any soul. See the Lord Jesus Christ despised and rejected of men, scourged, mocked, and insulted. Behold him bleeding on the cross of Calvary. Hear him crying in agony, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Mark how the sun was darkened and the rocks rent at the sight. And then consider, young men, what must be the evil and guilt of sin. Think also what sin has done already upon the earth. Think how it cast Adam and Eve out of Eden, brought the flood upon the old world, caused fire to come down on Sodom and Gomorrah, drowned Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, destroyed the seven wicked nations of Canaan, scattered the twelve tribes of Israel over the face of the globe, Sin alone did all this. Think, moreover, of all the misery and sorrow that sin has caused and is causing at this very day. Pain, disease, and death, strifes, quarrels, and divisions, envy, jealousy, and malice, deceit, fraud, and cheating, violence, oppression, and robbery, selfishness, unkindness, and ingratitude, all these are the fruits of sin. Sin is the parent of them all. Sin it is that has so marred and spoiled the face of God's creation. Young men, consider these things, and you will not wonder that we preach as we do. Surely, if you did but think of them, you would break with sin forever. Will you play with poison? Will you sport with hell? Will you take fire in your hand? Will you harbor your deadliest enemy in your bosom? Will you go on living as if it mattered nothing whether your own sins were forgiven or not, 
whether sin had dominion over you or you over sin. Oh, awake to a sense of sin's sinfulness and danger. Remember the words of Solomon, Fools, none but fools, make a mock at sin. Proverbs 14.9 Hear then the request that I make of you this day. Pray that God would teach you the real evil of sin. As you would have your soul saved, arise and pray. For another thing, seek to become acquainted with our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, indeed, the principal thing in religion. This is the cornerstone of Christianity. Till you know this, my warnings and advice will be useless, and your endeavors, whatever they may be, will be in vain. A watch without a mainspring is not more unserviceable than is religion without Christ. But let me not be misunderstood. It is not the mere knowing Christ's name that I mean. It is the knowing His mercy, grace, and power, the knowing Him not by the hearing of the ear, but by the experience of your hearts. I want you to know Him by faith. I want you, as Paul says, to know the power of His resurrection, being made conformable unto His death. Philippians 3.10 I want you to be able to say of Him, He is my peace and my strength, my life and my consolation my physician and my shepherd, my Savior and my God. Why do I make such a point of this? I do it because in Christ alone all the fullness dwells, Colossians 1.19. Because in Him alone there is full supply of all that we require for the necessities of our souls. Of ourselves we are all poor, empty creatures, empty of righteousness and peace, empty of strength and comfort, empty of courage and patience, empty of power to stand or go on or to make progress in this evil world. It is in Christ alone that all these things are to be found, grace, peace, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. It is just in proportion as we buy upon Him that we are strong Christians. It is only when self is nothing and Christ is all our confidence, it is then only that we shall do great exploits. Then only are we armed for the battle of life and shall overcome. Then only are we prepared for the journey of life and shall get forward. To live on Christ and to draw all from Christ. To do all in the strength of Christ. To be ever looking unto Christ. This is the true secret of spiritual prosperity. I can do all things, says Paul, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13 Young men, I set before you Jesus Christ this day as the treasure of your souls, and I invite you to begin by going to him if you would so run as to obtain. Let this be your first step. Go to Christ. Do you want to consult friends? He is the best friend, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Proverbs 18.24 Do you feel unworthy because of your sins? Fear not. His blood cleanseth from all sin. He says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah 1.18 
Do you feel weak and unable to follow Him? Fear not. He will give you power to become sons of God. He will give you the Holy Ghost to dwell in you and seal you for His own. A new heart He will give you, and a new spirit He will put within you. Are you troubled or beset with peculiar infirmities? Fear not. There is no evil spirit that Jesus cannot cast out. There is no disease of soul that He cannot heal. Do you feel doubts and fears? Cast them aside. Come unto me, he says, him that cometh I will in no wise cast out. He knows well the heart of a young man. He knows your trials and your temptations, your difficulties and your foes. In the days of his flesh he was like yourselves, a young man at Nazareth. He knows by experience a young man's mind. He can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities, for he suffered himself being tempted. Surely you will be without excuse if you turn away from such a Savior and friend as this. Hear the request I make of you this day. If you love life, seek to become acquainted with Jesus Christ. For another thing, never forget that nothing is so important as your soul. Your soul is eternal. It will live forever. The world and all that it contains shall pass away. Firm, solid, beautiful, well-ordered as it is, the world shall come to an end. The earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. 2 Peter 3.10 The works of statesmen, writers, painters, architects are all short-lived. Your soul will outlive them all. The angel's voice shall proclaim one day that time shall be no longer, Revelation 10.6, but that shall never be said of your souls. Try, I beseech you, to realize the fact that your soul is the one thing worth living for. It is the part of you which ought always to be first considered. No place, no employment is good for you which injures your soul. No friend, no companion deserves your confidence who makes light of your soul's concerns. The man who hurts your person, your property, your character, does you but temporary harm. He is a true enemy who contrives to damage your soul. Think for a moment what you were sent into the world for. Not merely to eat and drink and indulge the desires of the flesh— not merely to dress out your body and follow its lusts whithersoever they may lead you, not merely to work and sleep and laugh and talk and enjoy yourselves and think of nothing but time. No, you were meant for something higher and better than this. You were placed here to train for eternity. Your body was only intended to be a house for your immortal spirit. It is flying in the face of God's purposes to do as many do, to make the soul a servant to the body, and not the body a servant to the soul. Young men, God is no respecter of persons. He regards no man's coat or purse or rank or position. He sees not with man's eyes. The poorest saint that ever died in a workhouse is nobler in his sight than the richest sinner that ever died in a palace. God does not look at riches, titles, learning, beauty, or 
anything of the kind. One thing only God does look at, and that is the immortal soul. He measures all men by one standard, one measure, one test, one criterion, and that is the state of their souls. Do not forget this. Keep in view, morning, noon, and night, the interests of your soul. Rise up each day desiring that it may prosper. Lie down each evening inquiring of yourself whether it has really got on. Remember Zeuxis, the great painter of old. When men ask him why he labored so intensely and took such extreme pains with every picture, his simple answer was, I paint for eternity. Do not be ashamed to be like him. Set your immortal soul before your mind's eye, and when men ask you why you live as you do, answer them in his spirit, I live for my soul. Believe me, the day is fast coming when the soul will be the one thing men will think of, and the only question of importance will be this, is my soul lost or saved? For another thing, remember that it is possible to be a young man and yet to serve God. I fear the snares that Satan lays for you on this point. I fear lest he succeed in filling your minds with the vain notion that to be a true Christian in youth is impossible. I have seen many carried away by this delusion. I have heard it said, You are requiring impossibilities and expecting so much religion from young people. Youth is no time for seriousness. Our desires are strong, and it was never intended that we should keep them under as you wish us to do. God meant us to enjoy ourselves. There will be time enough for religion by and by. And this kind of talk is only too much encouraged by the world. The world is only too ready to wink at youthful sins. The world appears to think it a matter of course that young men must sow their wild oats. The world seems to take it for granted young people must be irreligious and that it is not possible for them to follow Christ. Young men, I will ask you this simple question. Where will you find any of this in the Word of God? Where is the chapter or verse in the Bible which will support this talking and reasoning of the world? Does not the Bible speak to old and young alike without distinction? Is not sin sin, whether committed at the age of twenty or fifty? Will it form the slightest excuse in the day of judgment to say, I know I sinned, but then I was young? Show your common sense, I beg of you, by giving up such vain excuses. You are responsible and accountable to God from the very moment that you know right and wrong. I know well that there are many difficulties in a young man's way. I allow it fully. But there are always difficulties in the way of doing right. The path to heaven is always narrow, whether we be young or old. There are difficulties, but God will give you grace to overcome them. God is no hard master. He will not, like Pharaoh, require you to make bricks without straw. He will take care the path of plain duty is never impossible. He never laid commands on man which he would not give man power to perform. There are difficulties, 
but many a young man has overcome them hitherto, and so may you. Moses was a young man of like passions with yourselves, but see what is said of him in Scripture. By faith Moses, when he was come to age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Hebrews 11, 24-26 Daniel was a young man when he began to serve God in Babylon. He was surrounded by temptations of every kind. He had few with him and many against him. Yet Daniel's life was so blameless and consistent that even his enemies could find no fault in him except concerning the law of his God, Daniel 6.5. And these are not solitary cases. There is a cloud of witnesses whom I could name. Time would fail me if I were to tell you of young Isaac, young Joseph, young Joshua, young Samuel, young David, young Solomon, young Abijah, young Obadiah, young Josiah, young Timothy. These were not angels, but men, with hearts naturally like your own. They too had obstacles to contend with, lusts to mortify, trials to endure, hard places to fill like any of yourselves. But young as they were, they all found it possible to serve God. Will they not all rise in judgment and condemn you if you persist in saying it cannot be done? Young men, try to serve God. Resist the devil when he whispers it is impossible. Try, and the Lord God of the promises will give you strength in the trying. He loves to meet those who struggle to come to Him, and He will meet you and give you the power that you feel you need. Be like the man whom Bunyan's pilgrim saw in the interpreter's house. Go forward boldly, saying, Set down my name. Those words of our Lord are true, though I often hear them repeated by heartless and unfeeling tongues. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Matthew 7, 7. Difficulties which seemed like mountains shall melt away like snow in spring. Obstacles which seemed like giants in the mist of distance shall dwindle into nothing when you fairly face them. The lion in the way which you fear shall prove to be chained. If men believe the promises more, they would never be afraid of duties. But remember that little word I press upon you, and when Satan says you cannot be a Christian while you are young, answer him, Get thee behind me, Satan. By God's help, I will try. For another thing, determine as long as you live to make the Bible your guide and advisor. The Bible is God's merciful provision for sinful man's soul the map by which he must steer his course if he would attain eternal life. All that we need to know in order to make us peaceful, holy, or happy is there richly contained. If a young man would know how to begin life well, let him hear what David says. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 119, 9. Young men, 
I charge you to make a habit of reading the Bible and not to let the habit be broken. Let not the laughter of companions, let not the bad customs of the family you may live in, let none of these things prevent your doing it. Determine that you will not only have a Bible, but also make time to read it too. Suffer no man to persuade you that it is only a book for Sunday school children and old women. It is the book from which King David got wisdom and understanding. It is the book which young Timothy knew from his childhood. Never be ashamed of reading it. Do not despise the word. Proverbs 13.13 Read it with prayer for the Spirit's grace to make you understand it. Bishop Beveridge says, Well, a man may soon read the letter of Scripture without eyes, as understanding the spirit of it without grace. Read it reverently, as the word of God, not of man, believing implicitly that what it approves is right and what it condemns is wrong. Be very sure that every doctrine which will not stand the test of Scripture is false. This will keep you from being tossed to and fro and carried about by the dangerous opinions of these latter days. Be very sure that every practice in your life which is contrary to Scripture is sinful and must be given up. This will settle many a question of conscience and cut the knot of many a doubt. Remember how differently two kings of Judah read the Word of God? Jehoiakim read it, and at once cut the writing to pieces and burned it on the fire. Jeremiah 36.23 And why? Because his heart rebelled against it, and he was resolved not to obey. Josiah read it, and at once rent his clothes and cried mightily to the Lord. 2 Chronicles 34.19 And why? Because his heart was tender and obedient. He was ready to do anything which Scripture showed him was his duty. Oh, that you may follow the last of these two, and not the first. And read it regularly. This is the only way to become mighty in the Scriptures. A hasty glance at the Bible now and then does little good. At that rate, you will never become familiar with its treasures, or feel the sword of the Spirit fitted to your hand in the hour of conflict. But get your mind stored with Scripture by diligent reading, and you will soon discover its value and power. Texts will rise up in your hearts in the moment of temptation. Commands will suggest themselves in seasons of doubt. Promises will come across your thoughts in the time of discouragement. And thus you will experience the truth of David's words, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119.11 And of Solomon's words, When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. Proverbs 6.22 I dwell on these things more because this is an age of reading. Of making many books there seems no end, though few of them are really profitable. There seems a rage for cheap printing and publishing. Newspapers of every sort abound, and the tone of some, which have the widest circulation, tells badly for the taste of the age. Amidst the flood of dangerous reading, I plead for my master's book. I call upon you not to forget the book of the soul. 
Let not newspapers, novels, and romances be read while the prophets and the apostles are despised. Let not the exciting and licentious swallow up your attention, while the edifying and the sanctifying can find no place in your mind. Young men, give the Bible the honor due it every day you live. Whatever you read, read that first. And beware of bad books. There are plenty in this day. Take heed what you read. I suspect there is more harm done to souls in this way than most people have an idea is possible. Value all books in proportion as they are agreeable to Scripture. Those that are nearest to it are the best, and those that are farthest from it, and most contrary to it, the worst. For another thing, never make an intimate friend of anyone who is not a friend of God. Understand me, I do not speak of acquaintances. I do not mean that you ought to have nothing to do with any but true Christians. To take such a line is neither possible nor desirable in this world. Christianity requires no man to be uncourteous. But I do advise you to be very careful in your choice of friends. Do not open your heart to a man merely because he is clever, agreeable, good-hearted, high-spirited, and kind. These things are all very well in their way, but they are not everything. Never be satisfied with the friendship of anyone who will not be useful to your soul. Believe me, the importance of this advice cannot be overrated. There is no telling the harm that is done by associating with godless companions and friends. The devil has few better helps in ruining a man's soul. Grant him this help, and he cares little for all the armor with which you may be armed against him. Good education, early habits of morality, sermons, books, regular homes, letters of parents, all he knows well, will avail you little if you will only cling to ungodly friends. You may resist many open temptations, refuse many plain snares, but once take up a bad companion, and he is content. That awful chapter which describes Amnon's wicked conduct about Tamar almost begins with these words, but Amnon had a friend, a very subtle man. 2 Samuel 13.3 You must recollect we are all creatures of imitation. Precept may teach us, but it is example that draws us. There is that in us all, that we are always disposed to catch the ways of those with whom we live, and the more we like them, the stronger does the disposition grow. Without our being aware of it, they influence our tastes and opinions. We gradually give up what they dislike and take up what they like in order to become more close friends with them. And worst of all, we catch their ways in things that are wrong far quicker than in things that are right. Health, unhappily, is not contagious, but disease is. It is far more easy to catch a chill than to impart a glow, and to make each other's religion dwindle away than grow and prosper. Young men, I ask you to lay these things to heart. Before you let anyone become your constant companion, before you get into the habit of telling him everything, 
and going to Him in all your troubles and all your pleasures. Before you do this, just think of what I have been saying. Ask yourself, will this be a useful friendship to me or not? Evil communications do indeed corrupt good manners. 1 Corinthians 15.33 I wish that text were written in hearts as often as it is in copybooks. Good friends are among our greatest blessings. They may keep us back from much evil, quicken us in our course, speak a word in season, draw us upward and draw us on. But a bad friend is a positive misfortune, a weight continually dragging us down and chaining us to earth. Keep company with an irreligious man, and it is more probable you will in the end become like him. That is the general consequence of all such friendships. The good go down to the bad, and the bad do not come up to the good. Even a stone will give way before a continual dropping. The world's proverb is only too correct. Clothes and company tell true tales about character. Show me who a man lives with, says the Spaniards, and I will show you what he is. I dwell the more on this point because it has more to do with your prospects in life than it at first sight appears. If you ever marry, it is more probable that you will choose a wife among the connections of your friends. If Jehoshaphat's son Jehoram had not formed a friendship with Ahab's family, he would most likely not have married Ahab's daughter. And who can estimate the importance of a right choice in marriage? It is a step which, according to the old saying, either makes a man or mars him. Your happiness in both lives may depend on it. Your wife must either help your soul or harm it. There is no medium. She will either fan the flame of religion in your heart or throw cold water upon it and make it burn low. She will either be wings or fetters, a rein or a spur to your Christianity, according to her character. He that findeth a good wife doth indeed find a good thing. But if you have the least wish to find one, be careful how you choose your friends. Do you ask me what kinds of friends you shall choose? Choose friends who will benefit your soul, friends whom you can really respect, friends whom you would like to have near you on your deathbed, friends who love the Bible and are not ashamed to speak to you about it, friends such as you will not be ashamed of owning at the coming of Christ and the day of judgment. Follow the example that David sets you. He says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Psalm 119, 63. Remember the words of Solomon. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs thirteen twenty. But depend on it. Bad company in the life that now is, is the sure way to procure worse company in the life to come. Well, that's our podcast for today. I hope that you enjoyed it and found it beneficial. Chapter 4, the final chapter of Thoughts for Young Men, will be posted in two weeks. 
If you subscribe to Listening to the Giants on your favorite podcast platform, you'll be notified when the next episode is posted. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. I'd appreciate receiving your feedback about this podcast. You can leave us a message by visiting the contact page on the Listening to the Giants website at listeningtothegiants.com. Or you can also send an email by addressing it to contact at listeningtothegiants.com. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you will join us next time as we continue to listen to the Giants. Thank you.